Hey, 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 happy Sunday, you all. Happy June 6th. It's that time again. Weightless and mind, body, and spirit with yours truly. Dr. Carol, we are ready to go live. We're going to do a, a, a countdown. Ooh, let me see. I want to make sure that people are signing on because we have got a special show for you today. Let's get it with the countdown. And let's see who joins in this Sunday afternoon. Hey, hey, you all. Welcome, weightless in mind, body, and spirit with yours truly, Dr. Carol Penn, triply board certified in family medicine, obesity medicine, and osteopathic manipulative medicine. I am your master movement, meditation, and mindset coach, three-time best-selling author. Woo-woo, my book, Meditation in a Time of Madness, and the journal, Meditation in a Time of Madness, Medicine, the journal, as well as anthologies that I've contributed to. I'm your wife, your mother, your friend, your healer, all of the things that we are together in this complex world. And I am so glad to be kicking off my summer series with a very, very, very special friend and colleague. So why is this show called Weightless and Mind, Body and Spirit? Well, it does refer to the medical things that we need to understand when we are trying to release weight. You know, big difference. I don't teach people how to lose weight. I teach you how to release weight because if you lose it, oh, does that imply you're going to go find it again? Like most folks, well, eh. Another story, another show, but also what does it mean to be weightless in mind, body, and spirit, psychologically and emotionally? And we try to bring the evidence base and everything to you for educational and informational purposes. We do not diagnose or treat anything. That's why we direct you to your health and wellness team, to your licensed medical professionals. And we are going to settle in and kick back on our show today. Go ahead, drop your name in the chat. Let us know where you're from. Let us know who's watching. The show is called The Eyes Have It. I could just do a whole summer show about seeing and about vision and the eyes. So many metaphors about being able to see, correct? The eyes have it. You know, single your eye. Watch your, all of the sayings that we have, go ahead and if you've got some sayings about your eyes, drop them in the chat, drop them in the chat. But without further ado, I'm going to be bringing my friend and colleague, Dr. Charlotte Acor, one of the United States preeminent pediatric ophthalmologists onto the stage. Now we met, we have the same business coach, so we met during Medical Moguls Academy, class of 2019. And I can tell you, this woman is just so dynamic. She's going to come on. She's going to tell us about her background, about her story. And then we are going to get into everything about the eye. And then for sure, I'll be saying hello as our audience joins us. But you know what? Get out your pads, get out your pens, get ready 
to write this information down. We're going to come away with some golden nuggets about how we care for this this precious, precious, precious sense organ that we have right here, right on the you know front of our heads. So without further ado, are you all ready? Drum roll, please. Let us greet and meet Dr. Charlotte Acor. Here she is. Here she is. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Carol. It's always a pleasure to be in your presence. Um, I'm always just so excited to interact with colleagues who are passionate about what they do, just like you know, I am. So uh, like Dr. Carol said, I am a board certified ophthalmologist. Uh, ophthalmology, you can actually do extra years of training after ophthalmology to subspecialize in a certain area. And my passion is pediatric ophthalmology and adult strabismus. So in addition to being able to take care of uh, people from zero to a hundred, my expertise, I did an extra year of training to be an expert on children from zero to 18. And p patients or people who have misaligned eyes, they also uh, fall into that category because being an ophthalmologist, I can do medical and surgical treatment of the eye. So I've perfected my surgical craft in misaligned eyes to actually help patients. So like Dr. Carroll said, I'm a pediatric ophthalmologist. And I, my best friend told me that I was going to go to medical school when we were playing at age six. And I just <laughs> kept on that route, right? I uh, graduated at the top of my high school class. I was able to attend Yale University and was just surrounded by other um scholars who wanted to make a difference in their world. So I was truly blessed uh, to attend Yale University and I was able to return to my home state of West Virginia and I got a medical school scholarship. And so that's when I found out that I was in love with pediatric ophthalmology. Dr. Carroll almost didn't become an ophthalmologist, right? I remember shadowing a, a, a young doctor who had just started out his practice and he was taking care of something that was very challenging. It was called dry eye. And actually you, you look forward and you're like 20 years later, they have more things that can be done. But back then I was like, oh no, this guy is treating this problem that can't be fixed. But I actually had the chance to follow one of my mentors. She actually went across our state of West Virginia and had special vision clinics for children, so children with Down syndrome, children with muscular dystrophy, any nonverbal children, autistic children. And I was so amazed at what she could tell about the child's eyes with even with without them having to participate. I said I was hooked. I was like, I've gotta be this. I've gotta be a pediatric ophthalmologist. And I, you know, continue that passion and and fervor today. And you know, I I actually take care of adults also. And I say, well, if you're young at heart, I will take the challenge on helping you with your eye condition. So, so that's a little bit about my story, Dr. Carol, and how I decided to become um, an ophthalmologist who subspecializes in pediatric ophthalmology and adult strabismus. <laughs> I love, love, love that story. And, you know, tell us a little bit about your personal life because you've got your own little pediatrics running around, don't you? <laughs> right. So um, God is good all the time. 
Uh, and so I have, so I've been a pediatric ophthalmologist for a really long time, but a mother for the past six years. And so I'm just truly blessed to uh, take care of my children, Aaron and Abigail, with the with 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 the, with the help of their father. Um, but one thing I love um, watching your work, uh, Dr. Carroll, you know, because of that analogy with the eyes and how the eyes are so powerful and so is your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just am so blessed every day watching my children grow up, develop into their personality. And as an ophthalmologist, just being able to see those children I get to treat every day, just see them grow, just see them, you know, I say develop good eyes for the rest of their life because adulthood happens, right? We know what happens at the end of life, but to, to be able to help my parents and there's children on their journey and even, even able to take care of, I take trauma call at night. So if somebody pokes themselves in the eye and I know that's another thing that we're going to talk about. If someone has an eye illness that I am blessed to have them come to my practice so I can help them through that journey of healing. Wonderful. Well, we're going to take a moment just to meet and greet some of the people that have joined us and that are watching us. And you know, we, we have a lively audience here. So we have, hello, Jana Michelle King, colleague of mine down in the D.C. area. Hello, hello. Good afternoon, Christine. Christine, who's becoming my right and my, my left arm for Penn Global uh, Visions. Hello and welcome, Amani. Hello, Victoria, and welcome. So, Victoria, notice, notice, and my beautiful necklace is here from Gambia. And I just, you know, absolutely love this. is such a, a treasure, as, as well as the uh, rest of the beating from another area of Africa as well. Dr. Dietrich is here. My childhood friend Martha is here and my dear friend Wanda is here. So good afternoon. Let's begin and welcome, welcome, welcome. So as always, be sure to put your questions in the chat. Dr. Charlotte, can you tell us a little bit about from embryo, how does the eye develop? How does, how do I, you know, this is so incredible. When you think about it, you know, what would we do without our vision? I mean, it's it's an incredible organ. So how does the eye develop? Well, we know God did everything right, but just when you think or you review the science of how the eye develops, the eye is actually has several layers and one layer is brain layer, right? So one layer is brain layer. And then this other layer comes in and actually pushes against the brain layer and actually the eye forms inside of it. So you've got your eyeball, you have your brain layer and the, my arm is the optic nerve, the cord from the brain. It is so amazing. It's so amazing. And so I wish that learning about the eye was as easy as going to Dr. Google. So because part of the eye is brain tissue, it, it, we have to treat it like the brain. It it follows the rules of the brain. And then the other part that comes from mesoderm and ectoderm, we figured out how to replace that, Dr. Carroll. It's not the easiest to replace, right? Um, and, and, and eye technology and eye resources are just running with that, but we still haven't figured out how to fix the part of the eye that's the brain tissue. But 
the eye has, you know, when you look at someone in the eye, you actually see their conjunctiva, the white part. And, you know, we see our iris, the colored part of the eye, but we're looking through the clear part of the eye, the cornea, the cap of the eye. So we figured out how to replace that. We figured out how to laser that to get rid of glasses and right behind the cornea and your iris is the lens that helps get things into focus. We figured out how to replace that. We figured out how to try to make it see near and far, and they're still working on that. But the back of the eye, the, the eye that, that when developed in embryology, that's brain tissue, we haven't figured out how to just replace that. So that's one reason why I'm so glad you invited me on your platform is to educate patients about how and people, how can we protect that brain tissue? Wow. So you're actually saying when we're when we're looking at the eye, we're looking at our brains. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people connect those dots about how precious this is and also how marvelous and how miraculous this is. And we're going to get into some ways, you know, how how to protect the preciousness of our eyesight as well. Welcome, Kenny Brazil Hamilton. And we have a comment here from uh, Victoria. So I'm going to uh, bring this up. So so is Dr. Acor a mountaineer? Let's go. Interesting topic. My daughter was born with congenital cataracts and a pediatrician ophthalmologist saved her vision when others really didn't know what to do. He still sees her until this day. And I know she's a beautiful young lady in her 20s now. And he also treats adults. So really, so what's, why would people, why would someone not know what to do with something, a condition like congenital cataracts? What causes that and how common is that? So some of my best friends are pediatricians and family practice doctors, right? Those, uh, those doctors who take care of the baby, right? The baby everywhere. We're on a timeline, right? We're on a timeline. And that's why, you know, the pediatrician sees your baby in the hospital when they're born, right? That's why the pediatrician sees your baby at one month right? Your pediatrician is looking for these things. The, the pediatrician is looking at your child's eyes and make sure, just like when you take um, a camera photo, sometimes those red eyes show up, they're checking for that. So, you know, God made everything perfect, but it's on a timeline, right? So, so there are several, there's lots of congenital problems, things that children are born with that can affect their vision. And that's why pediatricians, family practice doctors, hey, even grandmas, right? I've, I've had several grandmas telling their moms, their daughters, hey, this isn't right. It's so important that some of these problems are identified early. So it's so important just to keep your routine uh, screening exams. So congenital cataracts are rare, but they occur enough that there is a specialty of pediatric ophthalmologists, ophthalmology. There are ophthalmologists who um, th that do everything that may not have that formal fellowship training that take care of kids. But your vision, you, you, you need to have a clear line of sight um, really up those first several months of life. So say if somebody ignored those um, 
congenital cataracts. And so that light, that image cannot get in your eyes. Then that child, even though say maybe a year of age, they had those cataracts removed, they could still go, they could still be blind because that brain, you're talking about that in, in childhood, the brain is such a strong predictor of what we see. The brain just shuts the vision off. So congenital cataracts are probably happen 1% of the time, but it's something that my pediatric colleagues, my family practice colleagues say, hey, you know, they, they, they're, they're trained in their expertise too. So they're like, hey, this isn't right. This is not the way the child's eyes are supposed to look. And so that's how they, they get to me. And because now the child has had um, their, their lenses removed, there are things that can happen with that. There's a condition called congenital glaucoma that can happen with that. So once a child has been identified with an eye problem, they need to continue and see an ophthalmologist because once a child is age nine, whatever vision they have, Dr. Carroll, is what they lock in. So, you know, sometimes you think, hey, I got it fixed. You know, I'm tired of, you know, going back to the doctor. I've got other kids I have to take care of. Shoot, you know, I just don't even want to pay the copay or that visit. Vision is so precious. Vision is is so, it it has its own rules. So especially when a condition happens in childhood, it's so important that, the the disease process is identified and that there is regular follow-up. So, you know, absolutely. So, you know, we're going from the development, understanding that this is actual, our eyes are part of our actual brain tissue. We've seen many advances, you know, over, over the last few years. Good, good afternoon and welcome, Floor. Another one has joined us. And we're, we're talking about congenital cataracts, so that's childhood. But the prevalence of cataracts is something that's very common, is it not? Could you take us a little bit on the journey with cataracts and how they develop? And then what are some of the advances in how we treat it? So a, a cataract, so when you're born, your lens is clear. Uh, most of the time, right? We just talked about congenital cataracts, but that's very rare. We said that happens in about 1% of people, but your lens is clear, but but just like every other part of your body that sags or, or has a change or um, so does the lens. And so the lens can get the lens can get cloudy um, and, and different parts of the lens can get cloudy. There are certain disease processes that can accelerate the, the cloud of the lens. A trauma can actually cause the lens to cloud. Diabetes can accelerate um, uh, the, the, the clouding of the lens. Um, so we just expect that to be a natural part of life. However, because of medical technology, we have been able to replace that tissue. You know, God is so good to have, you have, um, you know, bless the doctors with this technology. So instead of your lens just getting dark and then you, your world darkening and not being able to see, someone's figured out how to remove that lens and put a nice clear lens in its place, right? So before um, some doctors aim to um, make sure that you can see far away. But the problem is 
nothing is perfect like nature, right? When you're young, your lens also has this power of focusing. So your lens, when you're young, under 40, your lens can focus up close and your lens can focus far away. But once we put an artificial lens in, the standard artificial lens in, it only gets one focal point. So that's why you see people with reading glasses. So some things they're trying to do are, or they have, or they have some lenses that help people see far away and have some intermediate distance. They're having, they have new lenses that can help people um, see up close and far away. They actually have lenses that get rid of people's astigmatism. What astigmatism is instead of the cap of the eye being perfectly round like a basketball, shaped like a football. So you you so so there are so many there there are there is a race in technology to make your eye perfect like it was when you were 18, right? I, I joke with my adults, hey, you know, they're working to make your eyes 18 again, but still, you know, that gift of clearness is still wonderful, even if you have to put a pair of glasses on just to, to read something up close. It sure is. I've, I'm one of these people. I've been wearing glasses, I don't know, since sixth grade or something like that. But So we have a, a comment here um, from Martha who's saying her son had cataracts at age 11, never discovered why, had a lens implant at age 13, was able to be certified to fly aircraft and has no problems since. He's now age 42. So do we also see that, you know, sometimes again, as, as a person goes through that early part of adolescence? So no, most, I mean, so a child can have a cataract. Most of the time, if the cataract is in both eyes in a child, we think that's something genetic and your ophthalmologist should do some sort of genetic testing, but there can always be something that can cause a cataract. Um, usually trauma is the most common, but there are definitely those, those few patients that we don't have a reason why. But again, that's why um, we de I depend on my pediatric colleagues. They are you know, vision screening is part of the yearly checkup, right? So it may not be a cataract that's uh, that's causing the child a problem. It could be something else. So, you know, checkups are so important. And, you know, we're just, we're just truly blessed to live in this country where, especially children, most children are covered through their parents' health insurance, through the, the Medicaid system to make sure that they are getting these screening exams. So, uh, problems are found, and and like I said, when when you're you you feel happy when your patient can say, hey, they can fly. They have 20/20 vision. The the, lens, the the cloudy lens was able to be removed, and and now he or she she can be seen again. You just feel so proud to be, um, you know, part of that 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 process. Oh, you know, it's 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 just incredible, and I always love you know reading stories about the uh, teens that uh, go abroad and do these cataract surgeries and then, you know, creating, restoring vision globally, uh, you know, just to, to be one without one sight and then to be able to see again and something that we have the technology, we have the knowledge. Good afternoon and welcome, Mr. Aubrey. Glad you've joined us. So I was reading that, you know, cataract formation can actually begin as early as five years old and it can develop and, it, you know, the lens tends to get cloudier as we age. So what, you know, so, you know, looking back, 
what kind of eye protection do we really need to start in our children and when? And then as we age 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and I know I'm hitting the age of all the people in our audience, how do we best protect our eyes, particularly like here right now, where we're in the latitude and longitude, where the rays of the sun are strongest? What do we do to protect our eyesight through childhood forward? So we're less likely to end up with those cataracts when we're older, which the formation seems to start decades earlier. Well, one thing I wanted to step back and tell you, Dr. Carol, I have actually had the opportunity to go on a mission mission trips, and I had the opportunity to um, do some cataract surgery in Cameroon. And one thing that, again, I say screening is so important. So when people would come and notice they had poor vision, they really only had two things. Dr. Carol, they either had cataracts or glaucoma. Cataracts are easy to fix. Um, you know, some cataract surgery can be done in 20 minutes. Glaucoma, when we were talking about brain tissue, glaucoma is damage of your optic nerve, that cord from the brain that's responsible for your seeing, right? So, so patients that had cataracts, cataracts, they could have surgery. They went home, they were able to see the patients with glaucoma, not so much, right? So, so, and actually what's unique about glaucoma or the, the majority of glaucoma, so glaucoma is just a word, is, is, is a name for a group of um, damage to the optic nerve disease processes, right? So, so the bulk of glaucoma is silent, that someone doesn't notice blurry vision someone doesn't not doesn't have pain and by the time that their vision is actually affected they're they're pretty much blind so glaucoma doesn't affect how well you see um, during most of the di disease processes it affects how much you see so mm -hmm. that's where screening comes in handy where the doctor can say hey your optic nerve that cord from the brain doesn't look normal and your pressure is elevated this is something we need to treat. So I don't mean to poo-poo cataracts, Dr. Carroll. Those can be fixed. Um, you know, I think our diet, some of those things can cause cataracts. But like I said, I see a lot of young kids. I even see young adults and I'm like, wow, you know, this is, your eye is perfect. Your lens is clear. Your, your, um, your, 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 your retina is clear. Everything is clear. Uh, cataracts, the the visually, you know, so there's always going to be some mild yellowing, but the visually significant cataracts usually occur um, probably 50, 60, 70. But again, diabetes, trauma, all those things can accelerate it. Um, sunlight can actually worsen. Um, sunlight can actually cause pterygium. So you can tell people who grew up in the sunny climates and in the northern climates. So that conjunctiva, the white part of your eye, the sun can cause damage to it and cause that tissue to change. And you can see that an, an abnormal film can actually grow over the clear part of the eye. So that's why it's so mm -hmm. important to wear sunglasses to pre prevent that change. And there's there's that debate of, cater of, of um, you know, sunglasses for cataracts. And I think it's reasonable, but I definitely think the sunglasses for that sun exposure of what we call pinguecula and pterygium is so important. 
And at what age do you recommend a person start wearing sunglasses? Uh, just whenever they can, right? <laughs> Kids have a mind of their own, right? When I when I um, operate on children and parents are like, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to, you know, prevent my child from rubbing their eyes? I'm like, you know, just so they're not doing it vigorously. If, if you had surgery in your eye and you felt a foreign body sensation, you would rub it too, right? Um, I always try to encourage my my parents, hey, if you have one thing to do, just do this one thing because, hey, right, the kids have a mind <laughs> of their own. <laughs> so I guess, you know, when when if, you, if your kids are playing sports and they can get some, you know, sunglasses, goggles or so. So just whenever you can do it, when you ride in the car, uh, when, whenever, whenever they can comply. That's that that's the real story, Dr. Carol. And okay. okay. So when, when, they're, when they're able to cooperate the process, <laughs> on it, what for sure, for sure. What about adults? Do you recommend that adults who can control what they're doing wear sunglasses when, you know, going about when we're going to be exposed to the intensity of sunlight? Yeah, definitely. And definitely those 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 adults that live in the South, you can definitely tell that um, there are a lot more um, pterygium and pinguecula in the South than there 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 is in the North. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Well, here's another uh, uh, problem or challenge that I like to bring up. So, Martha, I have serious dry eyes and allergies. And you've mentioned both of those briefly. I get four plugs every three months. My eye surgeon encouraged me to take vitamins and use flaxseed products. You mentioned a little bit about nutrition. I wear sunglasses the whole year. What can I do to prevent cataracts, which run in the family? But I, I would like you to, because you do see these eye vitamins. So I, you know, that have lutein in them, xanthine in them. I, I'd also, you know, like you to address efficacy or not in terms of eye nutrition and these eye supplements that are recommended. And maybe the audience doesn't know what these plugs are that Miss Martha is talking about. And shout out and welcome to Miss Marianne Harrell, Red Bank's in the house. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, so let's let's take the vitamins first, right? So so one one disease process that's very common and and all you know, you th all these things happened, right? And 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 there were things that people did that could accelerate some eye conditions. And uh, before we knew that smoking was bad, um, smoking actually has contributed to an accelerated an eye condition called age-related macular degeneration, right? So there's things that we can do to cause diseases. And then there are things that are in our genes that we have a propensity, you know, we, we, we couldn't control who our mom and dad was. They're, they're who they are, right? We can't, you know, control if we're blonde haired, blue eyes, if we have dark hair, brown skin, you know, we are what we are, but then they were, there are activities that we can do that can hasten eye problems. So, uh, macular degeneration is one of those problems. Ma the macula is the, the part of your retina, that film of the camera that's responsible for the sharp seeing part of your eye. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, you, you, I, I always think of it as someone is a sharpshooter. You need your macula to be your sharpshooter. And in macular degeneration, that's 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 what dies. I say, hey, you know, if you look at your macula, that 
that central seeing part of your eye. It has rods and cones. It's, it's, I call it, it's a bed of flowers. And then the flowers just die. And then you look at the garden and you may have three or four flowers, but you need all those flowers to see. You need all those rods and cones to see. So talking about helping your brain tissue, that retina, that, that optic nerve, is actually they have uh, something they're called A-REDS vitamins. So a group of retinal doctors got together and said, hey, are there any vitamins that can prevent or help prevent the progression of macular degeneration? So the A-REDS vitamins have a certain combination of zinc and copper and lutein. And it, it was a very specific formula that they tested on people. And there's two companies that make those. But then there's also, hey, what are those vitamins? What are those nutrients that the eye really needs? And so a vitamin with lutein, a good multivitamin with lutein, those are the, the um, vitamins that actually help the eye with macular degeneration. But you all hear that lutein, L-U-T-E-I-N. You want to look for lutein in your multivitamin formula. And could you tell us, you know, what are the two companies that do the ARADs? I think Preservision, I think Bausch & Lomb is one, and I'm not yeah, sure exactly yeah. what, the, what the other company is, but I'm sure your pharmacist could help you uh, find that. And again, I was talking to you about smoking. You know, by the time the person, the macular degeneration usually happens when people are 60, 70, 80. By that time, people are no longer smoking, but the damage has already been done. So we have to encourage our youth not to smoke because, uh, and again, I'm so passionate and so blessed that I get to be a pediatric ophthalmologist. And so I tell my, tell my parents, I'm, I'm here to help you get two eyes. So when adulthood happens, that you may have one left over. We're not just dealing with one eye. So, so we encourage our youth, encourage our young, young people not to smoke, right? Because not, you know, all the, the vitamins in the world that these, the toxins in cigarettes can really cause someone to go blind. And that, that, that is the, that is the real truth. Yeah. You know, I'm sure the pulmonologist is talking about your lungs and lung cancer, but, but I'm an advocate for your eyes. So, so no, no smoking, uh, so, so you can have your eye health uh, forever. And now, so- is that true for all smoke products? Like, so we're seeing more and more people, you know, smoking marijuana, for example. I don't know if there is a correlation between marijuana and um, and macular degeneration, mm-hmm. but I. Th- um, like I said, so an ophthalmologist, right? I'm, I'm, I am trained in general medicine too. I had to do a general yeah. internal medicine internship. Um, I had the opportunity to take care of people who had stroke, um, diabetes, any hospitalization that an adult doctor um, would take care of, care of. And when people walk into my office, I have to say, hey, did a stroke cause this person's vision to go away? Mm-hmm. Did high blood pressure cause this person's vision to go away? Is a brain tumor causing this person's eyes to move this way, right? So an, an ophthalmologist, I'm actually a medical doctor, someone who's gone to medical school, studied all the disease processes of the body and then subspecialized in the eye. So I kind of laugh when Dr. Carroll said, well, 
I know there's a lot of literature that talks about how marijuana is not good for your body, but we don't have something specifically we can we can hang our head on for for the eye. All right. Well, you know, so excellent. And, you know, you bring out such a, a great point. I always tell people, you know, it's all connected. You know, we can tell a lot about a person's general health by examining the eyes. You know, when is the hand ever not connected to the body? When are your eyes never uh, not a part of your total body? So you want to take care of all parts of you because it's in there with the whole. I want to welcome Linda Parker Edwards, again, Red Bank in the house, vis-a-vis -vis Florida. And here's a question from Floor. How about secondhand smoke? Can that lead to macular degeneration? I'm not familiar with the actual secondhand smoke leading uh, to macular degeneration. Um, so so I'm just, I'm just not aware. It's usually when somebody is seen in the office and they're identified with macular degeneration changes, we um, take a family history, find out if there's any family members that have it. You know, we say that patients from Scandinavian countries, blonde haired, blue eyed people, but there's also African-Americans with macular degeneration. There's also um, patients, uh, Hispanic patients with macular degeneration. So um, there, that's the most common thing. But, you know, when it happens to you, it doesn't matter how common it is. Right. So that's why we educate ourselves to do those things to prevent, you know, those um, those disease processes from from coming. Because I would say, yeah, you know, maybe I am, you know, practicing natural medicine um, and trying to keep wellness and mind, body, and spirit, because most of the time God gave us a perfect body, right? And, and the food that we put in our body and um, the fuel that we give to our body really determines how well, you know, our body works and how well our body will hold up for how many years that we will, that we'll need it. Absolutely. So, um, all right. So here we have from floor. Thank you so much for your response. Sometimes it seeps into my apartment from my neighbors. I'm moving to a house soon because my complex was supposed to be smoke free, but my neighbors are rude. And also my dogs need a bigger yard. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I know secondhand smoke really bothers me. I'm really sensitive to smoke. And it just, you know, it just, you know, I notice it just, it, my eyes will just burn and water. My eyes don't like it. So even though, you know, I'm, I'm not smoking, I know, you know, any kind of smoke just really, really, you know, bothers, bothers my eyes. And I do feel sensitive to that. So, hey, y'all, aren't we learning a lot about eye and eye health? Listen, y'all, drop your questions in the chat. We have one of the world's experts here. So let's take advantage of this. I'm going to show you a way that you can be in touch with her and also have her talk about, you know, sort of what's next for Dr. Charlotte as we continue on with this really interesting conversation about our eyes, the eyes have it, and our eye health, you know, what we need to know. So I'm just wondering, you know, what, what about, you know, Martha was mentioning about allergies. What can people do with, you know, like there's that product Zatador, which, or there's Pataday. What about those drops and how may they, may or may they not be helpful? And when should somebody be using them? So can I talk about a, a, a taboo topic, Dr. Carol? 
Yes. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. And I did want to go back to her her topic about allergies and dry eye. So the 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 elephant in the room is is money, right? The price we pay for our health care as employees, and I'm an employee, um, they take a large amount of money out of our paycheck to actually pay for health care, right? And then the insurance company dictates what the doctor can prescribe. And so that's problematic, right? That's problematic. And so there actually are a lot of treatments out there that may not be covered by insurance that can help you. And so ocular allergies, I encourage people, and again, you know, we're, we're not giving medical advice to make sure they're, 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 full body allergies is well treated. They're not sneezing. They're not having runny nose. They're taking, you know, Claritin if appropriate, um, um, Zyrtec is appropriate. And then if you're, if you're well controlled with your uh, systemic medicines for allergies and your eyes still itch, you know, Zatator and uh, there's another one that has been recently put over the counter, Pataday. They're they're the latest and greatest, right? That's they're the latest and greatest. They have two ingredients to really help with allergies. And a lot of times, allergies go hand in hand with dry. So so at some point, um, your 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 eyes aren't as 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 moist as they used to be. I say it just goes with wisdom and maturity. And I know Miss Hill had said, "Hey, well, this is what." you know, my ophthalmologist had, has suggested. And there are so many treatments now for dry eye. Your doctor just has to figure out which one is the best for you. So we have artificial tears, the tear replacement drops. We have different consistencies of that. And then Ms. Hill said that she uses punctal plugs. So instead of the tears draining down into the nose, they block our tear ducts so they don't they stay on our eyes longer. They actually have um, some immune modulators, one's called Zydra, one's called Restasis. Uh, there's a, a Restasis is actually cyclosporin. There's actually another company that has a more concentrated cyclosporin that helps your eyes make tears. There's a certain amount of fish oil and flaxseed that you have to take. Those are a lot of pills. So sometimes that's difficult for people to, to take that amount of, of fish oil and flaxseed, but that's reasonable. They actually are using some IPL laser. So your tears are actually made of three components, Dr. Carroll. You have your lacrimal gland, which is up here, and that's that that is the is the aqueous part of your tears. Your um, conjunctiva, you can't see the goblet cells on there. That's the mucinous part of your tears. And then you have oil glands in your eyelid that make the fatty part of your tears, and that all three of them working together, they make that tear that's supposed to stay on your eye and keep your eyes lubricated. And that's probably one of the things that 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 breaks down. So so we have warm compresses. We actually have special lasers. We have special um, instruments that massage those oil glands to uh, make things come out. I mean, it's it's amazing what they have in dry eye treatment. It is just, it's, it's something that one, not everything is covered um, by insurance. And two, it just takes time. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's something that's chronic. Uh, 
hormonal changes, just as women get older, you can, you can get more dry eye. So, so if that is something that you suffer from, you know, make sure you're working with your doctor. It sounds like Dr. Miss Hill, you have a great doctor, but it's something that you shouldn't be discouraged. You shouldn't give up on because there are so many wonderful treatments and, and, and things that um, doctors are trying to do to make, make, make your eyes comfortable. Wow. Thank you. So I tell you, I, I bring the experts on. I bring the experts. We've got four questions. We're just going to go because we're going to get it in. So at what age should children have their first eye appointment? Miss Linda wasn't on in the very beginning, but go okay. ahead. So uh, Miss Linda, uh, your, your, your child should be screened at the pediatrician's office. And if you notice a problem, you need to bring it to your pediatrician and they can refer to the pediatric ophthalmologist. So I'm, I'm, I am going to, um, uh, I, I, I encourage uh, patients to be, to, to follow with their primary care doctor to be screened because there are so many healthy kids. And I know that this, there's this big initiative to have every child have an eye exam. That's not Screening is important, right? We know how many children are affected by pediatric cataracts. We know how they should be detected, right? We know children can actually have glaucoma, but their glaucoma um, develops differently. And that's something the pediatrician can notice. That's something the pediatrician is, is testing for, you know, eyes that are aligned. And then all the other problems, the parents can say, hey, something's not right. Send me um, to the pediatric ophthalmologist. So um, I think it uses a lot of resources to have every child to have their um, an, an eye appointment with an eye care professional. Unfortunately, we live in the world we live in. So sometimes children who just get eye appointments and have no complaints end up with glasses they don't need. So um, it just is what it is, right? It's, it's the world we live in. So I encourage um, one, parents, if they notice their child has an eye problem, to um, ask for the referral. Or two, you know, make sure you're keeping your appointments with your primary primary care doctor to make sure that they're identifying those problems that really are 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 um, blinding in childhood. And I think the screening in the pediatrician's office, having your child's eye screened. Um, at three or four, that preschool age, I think those recommendations from the the American Academy of Pediatrics, where the uh, the, the the Pediatric Ophthalmology Association works with, are very valid. Excellent. We're going to keep going. Another question: How do you feel about contact lenses, and what age is appropriate for a child to start to wear them? So, uh, Marianne, in my older age, I've kind of relaxed that, but I really. When you're you're using a contact lens, you are putting something on your eye. You are increasing your child's risk of infection, and infection can lead to scarring. So when I counsel a parent about um, uh, using contact lenses, I say you got to make sure your child is clean, right? You are not the one brushing your child's teeth or telling your child to brush their teeth or wash their hands. They just have to have that maturity. It's it's better to, to walk around with glasses than end up with an eye infection or a corneal ulcer that can be vision threatening forever. So I used to, you know, have a heart. I'd be like 15 for boys, 
13 for girls, but it's really, you know, dependent on the child. I mean, can an eight-year-old really be responsible? Contact lenses are really, you know, adult level responsibility. There are better contact lenses out there. I, I encourage if if the child can use um, the disposable ones where they, they're thrown away at the end of the day, but you really need to make sure your child is clean. You know, that infection, there's, you know, it leads to scarring, it leads to vision loss, you know, yeah, it, it, it doesn't happen in a, a you know, a hundred percent of ch children, but if that's your child that it happens to, if you're in that 5% that I would, I would feel I would be doing a family a disservice, giving a child some contact lenses when I know they're not clean, they don't have that maturity to wash their hands all the time, that they're, that those hygiene things, and we just know not, you know, some just don't have that maturity level yet. Do you agree, Dr. Carroll? <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I, I've seen some damage from contact, uh, improper contact yeah. lens where I've seen it in kids and I've seen it in adults. You know, people falling asleep in them and when not the kind that are meant to be slept, all, you know, all kinds of things. And I've seen some cases where the damage was not readily re reversible. So it's a big consideration and it does have to do with maturation levels and it is an adult responsibility. And there's some adults that shouldn't be wearing contacts. <laughs> right. But, but at least the adult, they're responsible yeah. for themselves, right? As, as, as a provider or a doctor that takes care of kids, I kind of feel extra, you know, ex, ex, you know, an extra sense of duty because, you know, it's, it's, granted the parent is the child's advocate, but also as as the doctor i'm i'm the child's advocate also because i know more and i've seen more and and you know this is this is what i do every day and i i know how you know i've seen how these things go <laughs> absolutely absolutely we got another question i told this audience is they they're engaged dr charlotte they're mm -hmm. engaged quick question has stem cell research or its use gained traction in eye health or treatment yet so there so again, there the, the the optic nerve is brain tissue. The retina is brain tissue. There are some congenital disease processes that just we haven't figured out treatments for. There has been um, um, a genetic disease. It's called um, congenital um, uh, stationary night blindness, where there actually mm -hmm. is some genetic therapy for that. It's done at two or three centers in the U.S., but unfortunately, stem cell research really hasn't worked out for these, these congenital retinal um, vision disorders. So, so they're trying, and um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a pediatric ophthalmologist. I, I attend my yearly meetings. I hang out with the pediatric ophthalmologist. I'm, I'm passionate about, you know, helping children see you know, one of one of the worst days on my job is telling a parent that their child can't see and we don't have something that we can do to help their child see. But unfortunately, the stem cell injection where people actually had have even taken their child and gone to China to inject inject their child. So so the pediatric ophthalmologists who actually take care of these children, they've actually taking the data and saying, hey, you know, is this really working? It's just we haven't had enough data. So so unfortunately, no, those, those, those kids that have had genetic eye diseases, those retinal eye diseases, those optic nerve eye diseases that went and, and got injected with stem cells, 
it it hasn't um, bore out that research, but that one condition, that congenital stationary night blindness, it it is one of those things that you know it's not very common. It's probably super super rare, but you know if if the if if the pediatric ophthalmologist can can praise God, there there actually has been some early treatment to help children to make sure they don't lose their vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, again, thank you so much for all this information and the time that we have left. I'd like to, uh, you know, share your contact information and talk about what is next in the world of Dr. Charlotte. So I'm going to let you just take that in any direction, while, you know, that you want to. I'm going to bring up this banner so people can see about children see clearly. And so go ahead, what's up next for Dr. Charlotte and what does children see clearly about? So uh, I am taking my um, show on the road. So thank you for having me on your show, Dr. Carol. I am uh, looking for more speaking engagements, just telling people and educating people about eye health, making sure that kind of dispel some of the misinformation, right? And knowledge is power, right? I hate when you tell somebody something and they say, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, right? Because right now we're bombarded with information, but how do you know what the right information is? You know, so, 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 so I, I'm taking my, my, my show on the road earlier this week. I had the chance to uh, speak to the diabetic support group at my hospital, you know, just talking about some of the things that we talked about today, dry eye, right? Making sure that um, you're treating your allergies properly, making sure you take care of your diabetes. Remember, I just told you, hey, diabetes can accelerate cataracts, right? So, so simple things that, that, that patients can do to really people can do to, to, as they say, Oh my gosh, I have to come to the doctor, right? You should come to the doctor. We should be able to have a wonderful conversation. You know, we can chat, find out how your family's doing. And, and like I said, up oh, the good news is I'm going to give your eyes the clean bill of health, right? That's how I like every encounter to happen, but sometimes it doesn't, but I want to be able to give my patients you know, the knowledge that they can do to be empowered to treat their problem. And again, like I said, I want, I want, um, you know, to, to dispel some of the misinformation. So actually my Dr. Charlotte um, pediatric ophthalmology page is on Facebook. Um, and so it's, it's www.facebook.com children see clearly.com. And so what happens is that I share some pictures of, of my patients, one of uh, my patients, um, you know, just being a pediatric ophthalmologist is truly a gift. And sometimes we don't know who can't see or who cannot see, right? I had a, a patient, I always share this story. I had a patient who had adopted some twins, a parents who had adopted two twins. And like I said, you get screened when the parent thinks something wrong. So the parent said, hey, I think something's wrong with this twin. The twin was six months. And so they brought the other one for the appointment too. And I said, well, this twin is fine. Her eyes are fine. She has all the right parts to see, right? Because just like your body develops, your body's there, but, but you have to have that maturation, right? It takes a child. A child is born with feet but the, they have to figure out how to make the feet work and the eyes are similar, right? So, so I'm able to, 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 to reassure the parents, your child has all the right parts to see. Maybe she's just a slow seer. So, you know, in a couple months, you know, your concerns are going to be gone, right? You may have had the, your first baby may have been the early seer that, 
that you know was what saw a little bit earlier right but then the other baby actually was the baby that needed glasses that was really really farsighted so we we got that baby in glasses so so that's what i do um on my uh my 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 Facebook pages share um, stories of my patients. So you'll see the optical shop of this. Um, it's a different patient who got glasses, right? It's just amazing when young children get glasses that that um, that now can see, right? They have even daycares now. They got these little um, uh, cameras that check to see, are they? do they have astigmatism? Are they nearsighted? Are they farsighted? So it's just amazing. And it also highlight some of the articles I've written. I've, I've, I've contributed to an article about uh, vision and pregnancy. So just it's just it's just an educational piece, right? I want to make sure that when I share information, I'm sharing accurate information. And I'd hope you trust that just like I invested a lot of time and money in my education, that I'm going to make sure that when I share information with you, it's accurate and um, it's timely. Ah, oh, Dr. Charlotte, thank you so much. You see, this is why I love her. So it's like our our conversations when, when we've been able to get together in person, we were kind of drawn to each other from the first time we met each other. We we kind of nerd out, you know, this excites us, this makes us happy. But it, it, it is so such valuable information to share and to make sure that you know people know this, right? You it's you know, fool me once, fool me twice, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. Information is power. So we have a, a gratitude here from Ms. Floor. This information is such a blessing. Thank you, Dr. Carol and Dr. Aker for taking the time and space to share all your knowledge and advice. Yes. And so Ms. Linda saying, I promise to go back and watch from the beginning. Very informative. Thank you both. And, you know, this is what Weightless in Mind, Body and Spirit has come to be known for, bringing you this education and this information from, you know, the brilliant minds, brilliant minds. And one of the things I don't want, you know, my dear friends that have these brilliant minds to continue to be best kept secrets. So be sure you follow them. Be sure you reach out to them. Stay in touch with me. Things are going to be switching up and changing up a little bit this summer. Uh, those of you that are on my VIP email list, stay tuned tomorrow because I'm going to just give you a little highlight of the summer season. I have got some, again, international powerhouses coming to you on the Sunday show, Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. I'm going to do it this way because I want you to mark your calendars. I want you to invite your friends so that we have, and then when you watch, sharing is caring. Be sure to share this. Everybody should know about Dr. Charlotte, right? And what she's doing and this information. So be sure to share this with your network. So listen Hashtag Meditation Nation. We are so glad that you have joined us in mind, body, and spirit. Weightless in mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much, Dr. Charlotte. This has been fantastic for coming to us at a special time. And we will see you next Sunday. And be sure to look for your 
email, your VIP email coming to you in your email box tomorrow morning. Thank you so much. Signing off till next week. And by the way, the show today is dedicated to my father's son who made his transition this week. God bless you, Louis Erskine. God bless you, Kata Erskine. Gratitude and blessings to the ancestors. We are one. Mm, so long. <laughs>